Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blur with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This month, we're checking out New Earths as we hop across the DC-verse on... Yet another DC animated podcast, part of the forgotten entertainment family welcome nerdy knights of the well-rounded table to bohemian geek studies where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms i'm colleen ready to boldly go no that's not right and i'm anders and you can go ahead and beat me no not this universe doing something different (laughs) (laughs) we're all mixed up here while we vary in terms of our tastes here on bgs one thing will always remain constant there's always more to learn from taking a chance on new content and we're really glad we gave these shows and movies in this podcast series a shot absolutely so as part of this mini series on bohemian geek studies we are taking a look at content which for one reason or another we think is way better than it has any right to be this shit good. So this, this shit is so good. <laughs> so for this episode, Colleen and I are taking a look at The Orville, which is a TV series created by and starring Seth MacFarlane. This show has it all, bringing sci-fi dramedy that explores many ideas prevalent in pretty much all science fiction, but not taking itself too seriously. MacFarlane also wrote most of the episodes and an accompanying novella that we will talk about at length a little, little later. Much length. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that novella a whole lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, the show is about Ed Mercer, an officer in the Planetary Union's line of exploratory space vessels in the 25th century. The plot follows Ed as he takes command of the starship Orville along with his first officer and ex-wife, Kelly. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> and follows Drop. them and the crew as they explore the galaxy. Inspired by the original Star Trek series, as well as Next Generation, the series both parodies and pays homage to those shows. The Orville premiered on Fox on September 10th, 2017, aired for two seasons, and we have been waiting forever (laughs) and finally got the third season to air on Hulu in 2022, which was retitled The Orville New Horizons. And currently the full series is on Disney+. Plus. Thank God. <laughs> so, Colleen, what makes this series so special and why why do we think it is better than it should have been? Okay, this I remember seeing in Entertainment Weekly because I was a voracious reader of that magazine that this show is going to be coming out. And I was like, Seth MacFarlane, creator of Family Guy, which I'm not a huge fan of. I do like American Dad a little bit more, but both of those I'm kind of like, eh, take them or leave them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I had really low expectations going into this show. I saw the cast though and was like, yes, I need to sign on to this. I love this cast. Adrian Palicki, so great on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then Penny Johnson Gerald, she was on Deep Space Nine. She never got enough screen time as Cassidy Yates, but she was really good. So they sold me on giving the show a try. I didn't start watching though until season two was almost finished airing. So I got to binge it and then I got hooked like right away, the first couple episodes. I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm sold. These characters are really fun. The comedy and then on Hulu, the cursing (laughs) was like a welcome addition to a Star Trek-y show where they don't swear 
In fact, it's kind of a joke in Star Trek for Voyage Home where they're like colorful metaphors are swearing and <laughs> Kirk and Spock try to swear and it's just great. But in here they're like dropping shits and stuff. They Yeah, they don't care. Everyone in the cast too is just so game for what they're creating. Like they know what kind of show they're on. They know they're on a parody and homage, but yet they can still bring the drama chops when they have to. Season two though, really clinched it for me. It went from like being a good time to being like a holy shit, I can't miss this show. And I'm so glad that I stuck with it. It's very thought-provoking TV. The way the show kind of pushed the various plots forward was also incredible. Lots of really great character work. They basically took what made Deep Space Nine so special with like specialized characters, one scene, one place, one character like development arc and ramped it up with like all these new faces and new reasons to care a lot about the characters that's not in Star Trek very often. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's very special. It's one of those shows that you just don't think could possibly be good. And holy shit. You're like, wow, Seth MacFarlane, how dare you? Every week, <laughs> every week, how dare you? Every week. <laughs> what yeah, about you? So I remember, I remember being like a little pumped for the show when it was first coming out. Cause I was, I, I was still am a, a decent family guy fan. And I know in the back of my mind that Seth MacFarlane actually has a lot of like other things behind him. Mm -hmm. Not so great as an Oscar host, but you know, we'll, we'll forget about that. Uh, then I, it was around like episode three or episode four. I remember I was watching and I think my dad walked into the room and he watched a few minutes of it and was like, isn't this supposed to be like a comedy? Like the, the <laughs> show was initially billed as the guy who makes Family Guy is making a Star Trek workplace comedy parody. Mm -hmm. And they were like figuring that out for a couple episodes. And then they just kind of like started to shift. And I, I mean, I'll say it. This show is the reason we decided to do this series on PGS. Because, <laughs> it is. Because, <laughs> because as season three was airing, you and I would basically watch an episode and text each other something along the lines of, the fucking audacity of Seth MacFarlane. Yep. <laughs> Every week. Why am I crying? This is ridiculous. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Why is this so great? Oh, it's so good. And I just <laughs> never thought it could evolve into something as thought-provoking, as tugging at the heartstrings as it ultimately got to and managed to sustain for at least two full seasons, if not like two and a half to almost the full three. And it really showed that Seth MacFarlane is an extreme liberal. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll get into that in a little bit. Which I, I did not expect, and yet here we are. Yes. <laughs> like, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a couple of just general points around the show. I think it's good to trace the show's evolution. We can kind of do that through the characters, because as the show moves on, we really slowly move away from focusing on Seth MacFarlane's Ed, the captain, and really spend a lot of time with the surrounding characters. Mm -hmm. Which was a good move. It was a great move. Like, Ed is great, but he's kind of one note. Like, he grows, but not as much as other characters do, I think. And it's not the performance. I think Seth MacFarlane is really great in this role. He is. Ed I, just doesn't have a lot of space, I think. Like, Ed, he, he starts out as a mostly by the book union captain 
mm-hmm. and he stays a mostly by the book union captain where we see that development is with his relationship with the other characters yep. particularly kelly which we'll talk about mm-hmm. a lot later on we get characters like gordo and lamar like gordo <laughs> pranksters. had pranksters and were great gordo had some really good arcs what i loved about him actually was that he did disagree very often with ed with kelly with the rest of command Mm-hmm. he's more conservative when it comes but, to certain things <laughs> yeah but he still was able they were still able to come together um mm-hmm. and work as a group and still have all this respect for each other and still be friends and still be friends something actually um one of the season three episodes did that very well i think showing that they could still be friends absolutely Strange New Worlds, one of the newer Star Trek shows, is another one of those where I'm just like, I'm watching and it was like watching New Orville and it's like, oh my God, these people like straight up fundamentally disagree, but still agree that they have to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this shouldn't hit as well as it does. But in today's world, that's actually pretty fucking rare. <laughs> and really great casting there also. And oh, yeah. Captain Pike's hair. I mean, just watch the show for that. <laughs> yes. I'm even, going good, back to Gordo. I'm even going back to Gordo, though. <laughs> oh, Gordo. Our poor oh. sweet boy from Band oh, of Brothers. <laughs> yes. And I will say, it's actually kind of over the life of the show, he and Adrian Pilecki met, got engaged, got married, and got divorced over the course of these three seasons behind the scenes. And they still work together really well. Mm. That feels well, very Gordo and Kelly. Also, <laughs> like something that they would do. Amanda Lamar... I wish we got a little bit more of overall. Okay. Like he had, he had one major subplot mm-hmm. that was kind of revived a little bit as a joke in season three, but he was always just kind of more of a company guy. I wish there was a little bit more from him. Same. I uh, hope season I, four has more for him to do. Cross our fingers that there is a season four. Give it to us cowards. We want it. Yes. Him and Tala <laughs> had a drama. decent like romantic subplot, but mm-hmm. That, was that played actually for laughs. hit kind of hard too when they were like, we actually like each other, but we are biologically incompatible. So we can't express ourselves that way. It was kind of sad to be Otherwise. like, they obviously really like each other, but if she's going to break his bones every time they try to have <laughs> sex, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Speaking of Tala <laughs> and Alara, these two... I still don't feel like I know Tala well, whereas mm-hmm. I think the performance from the actress who played Alara was so vulnerable and so open that I loved Alara immediately. Absolutely. I just really, really enjoyed her performance and her character. And then she abruptly left. I think the actress got a pilot for another show or she needed a break. So they brought on a new Zelayan to be the security chief, Tala. And I like her, but I don't feel the same sort of connection with her that I did with Alara. I don't, I don't know why. Do you, do you feel I think the same part way? Of it was, I feel like part of it was that Alara had something, in addition to being a Zelayan, Alara was younger. Hmm. She was, she was basically just a kid. She was like, kind. I think she may have actually been like a teenager in terms of the show. The actress obviously is in her 20s or something yeah. like that. Um, so it was this added layer that not only is she a female, 
who was constantly being underestimated by several men on the show, but she was also younger and she was so much stronger than everybody. She was kind of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you took that an extra degree, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Joss Whedon has said that he created Buffy to be the anti-trope, you know, the dumb blonde cheerleader in distress is actually the one who can beat the shit out of you and probably kill you. Yes. And that Mm -hmm. was Alara. (laughs) Yeah. And then there was this whole like subplot about Alara, her family, like not liking the fact that she joined Starfleet or Mm -hmm. sorry, (laughs) the union. Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. Starfleet. (laughs) as well just what it's supposed to be but they didn't like that she joined the union fleet but then when she left he was just able to get Tala another Zelayan like that like there was a little bit of an iffy thing there but Mm -hmm. but she's still cool I mean yeah Tala's Tala's a great character and I like her Mm -hmm. I just want more it's kind of like the Lamar thing like I want to see more Mm -hmm. emotional work I think from Tala she's still kind of supporting character and I want her to have more of a lead role yeah well speaking of emotional Mm. let's let's Mm. talk just a little bit about Ensign Charlie Burke who is a season three edition so she's brand new to the show in New Horizons Mm -hmm. and Anne Winters just does such great emotional work throughout this I don't know how much we want to spoil here I know we're going to get into a lot of plot lines throughout the series but Mm -hmm. her her role as this younger officer who comes in during a war yeah and when there's an officer on the bridge who was a member of the enemy's army yeah that's tough especially since she's like the lone survivor of her ship like maybe people have seen star trek movies they know that like the borg or something have come in and destroyed everything imagine like the beginning of Deep Space Nine where Cisco has to go talk to Picard and he's basically like, fuck you, yeah. <laughs> Captain Picard. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with you because you've like destroyed my life. And Picard's like, I'm sorry. I'm very British. I'm supposed to be French, but Patrick Stewart, I'm very British and I don't know how to react. To <laughs> A little bit the same situation, but Charlie is in a much more junior role. Yeah. But even though she is, she has the guts to speak out, which I really enjoyed. She does. And she talks She talks it straight to Ed. She tells mm-hmm. it straight to Kelly. She tells it definitely straight to Isaac. Mm-hmm. And she still managed to kind of build this much in herself to reach a point of, I won't say forgiveness, because she's right. not there. No. But acceptance and a certain level of tolerance which is a theme that the show really runs with yes throughout we make it work this is a workplace (laughs) where you have to make it work with your fellow employees yes (laughs) and she even though she was only in one season like so far she made like a huge impact just in one season I thought that was incredible for the writing team and Ann Winters as the actress I think that was just incredible to be able to create a character that had that much weight in the plot mm-hmm. and her kind of superpower was really cool <laughs> her fourth yeah. dimensional skills yeah my don't know how that works but... i'm insanely smart when mm-hmm. it comes to math mm-hmm. like <laughs> good they need people like that in the union 
<laughs> then another just kind of general discussion point I wanted to bring up is this general concept of Star Trek and parody because I was thinking about it and the times that Star Trek gets parodied, they end up also being these incredible examples of the sci-fi genre. Like mm-hmm. not just the Orville, but I'm thinking about Galaxy Quest, which a lot favorites. of people a lot of people actually label as one of the better Star Trek movies that's ever been made, despite the yes. fact that it's, you know, quote unquote, not technically a Star Trek movie. It's incredible. Uh, even the in-universe comedy series Star Trek Lower Decks that's currently on Paramount Plus, was it? It's fucking hilarious. It's so funny. But they still end up with this heart to them. Why is that? Like, what is it about Star Trek that lends it to this situation? <laughs> I think it's the idealized world that really draws people in for Star Trek, especially. I know people are drawn to Star Wars for a very different reason. It's more of a fantasy show and a coming of age show, a hero's journey show. Star Trek is not that. Star Trek is, we are in an idealized future where humankind on earth, they're no longer at war. Money isn't a thing. Everybody has jobs. Everybody has food because they have the matter replicators. Once you have a matter replicator, food shortages disappear conflict disappears people can do like whatever job they want basically because anything can be made and anything can be done but then it's also not perfect like there's still conflict there's still having to go meet and negotiate and interact with new worlds new people and that always will bring about a little bit of conflict that people can still engage with like yes it's this idealized perfect world yet you still have these wrinkles But your heroes are all very idealistic people out there trying to explore. And generally, I think people, humans, like explorers. They like people who will seek out (laughs) new friends and new civilizations to boldly go, like where no other humans will go. That's always interesting and intriguing. But then Star Trek makes sure it has that heart. Like you said, there's always a character that's going to tug at your heartstrings. And ironically, it's usually not a human character. It's like Spock or Data or Isaac, somebody who <laughs> oh, we can Isaac. put human emotions onto that doesn't have them or who craves human emotion, who wants that kind of connection and can't quite have it just because of their race or that they were made. I think people gravitate towards that kind of quandary too. Mm-hmm where I think Isaac a lot comes from data. Oh, Isaac definitely comes from data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he and takes it to like the nth degree. Yeah, Isaac <laughs> <laughs> Isaac and data are very different. They may spring from the same idea, but... Mm. <laughs> what if a robot was sentient? Take yes. us in very different directions. Yes. Like imagine data's brother, Lore, but there's a whole bunch of them and they're much less oh, humorous. <laughs> a lore who just kind of becomes data because reasons. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sometimes the writing's not there, but I mean. Hey, I you know what? Least... We had to launch Tom, Hardy, Tom Hardy's career somehow. That is very true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back okay. to specifically the Orville. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about, can you pick a favorite episode? Now for me, mm. This was insanely hard to choose. Yeah, really um, hard. Partially because the show does such a great job. It balances dealing with very serious 
often traumatic subjects like war, genocide, gender identity, mm-hmm. but having some incredible, just lighthearted, fun romps. Like, let's just have an episode where a blue Rob Lowe shows up and makes everybody around him <laughs> horny as fuck. <laughs> or, <laughs> or we're, we're on our way to have a sacred, solemn ceremony, which celebrates the one time every few years that I pee. Yep. <laughs> sure, why Wild. not? Wild shit. And yet here we are. <laughs> on the whole, though, I think my favorite episode, the one that I think about the most, actually, is season one, episode three. It's called About a Girl. And this could have been a one-off, but ultimately kicks off a series-long subplot surrounding Bordas, his husband, and their daughter, Topa. The story just brings together so much from family dynamics, cultural references, what's the time to just stand up for what you know is right, despite everyone telling you to let it go, gender politics, all of that. We'll get into this a little bit more later. Yes. But I think that is ultimately my favorite episode of the show. That final Ouch. courtroom scene is... Oh, God, it's so good. It's so good. And then, but then it still ends on a down note, and mm-hmm. you're just like, what the fuck? Yep. They kind of went where Star Trek wasn't willing to go. Yeah. They ended it where it's like, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point. You're not meant to like it. You're meant to be affected by it. And I think that's why that episode hits so hard and why it was really interesting that it's that early in the show really is and yet it's still having repercussions in season three Seth McFarland how fucking dare you how dare you sir we're (laughs) gonna say that a lot everybody (laughs) curse you you handsome very talented man uh like you I also had a very difficult time choosing my favorite episode I was going through lists and I was like trying to narrow it down and I was just having a really hard time so many of them are great for different reasons. Like we like these episodes for very different reasons. One standout is the Gordon focused episode, Lasting Impressions, where he kind of, he basically learns everything about a woman from the 2000s by downloading her cell phone info and kind of like putting her in a holodeck situation where he can date her. And there's a lot of interesting moral implications to it, but it's also surprisingly honest and heartfelt and it made me finally warm up to Gordon because Gordon, I was like, oh, I like him. I like the actor. I like the character. But mm-hmm. this really made me be like, okay, like he actually has heart and he just wants, he kind of wants to have a normal life also. Like he's a dedicated union officer, but he also craves family and connection. I remember this one. I remember really liking it. I also remember it as like, oh, this is like one of the more direct um, next generation riffs because Jordy LaForge does something very similar. Yes, very, very similar. <laughs> and then he gets to meet her in person later on. Mm-hmm. And Gordo will eventually actually get to meet her in the past. And that's a whole other thing from season Ooh. three. That's one episode of season three where I think they didn't delve deep enough, but maybe they'll cover it in season four. I don't know. I hope that that episode will have different repercussions because I think they cut it off a little too fast. But going back to my favorite episode, (laughs) my favorite is kind of cheating since it's a two-parter. I don't care. I'm going to cheat. It is identity parts one and two. These are the episodes where we learn a lot about Isaac, about the Kalon which is his race, basically. 
and how easily the galaxy can be destroyed. Very easily, folks. Let's not piss off the robots. Be nice to your Alexas because you <laughs> never know when they could try and take over the world. Oh God, those two were just so shocking. I was shocked. I was I was there. so shocked. I was stunned. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I was and then the way it ended with Isaac and oh, everything. His ultimate choices, which mm-hmm. they don't let go of. No. Once again, lasting repercussions. DS9 yes. did the exact same thing. The characters didn't get over what happens and then skip to a next episode and be over it. Like this, that does not exist in this world. They don't get over things. No. Which I very much enjoy. I also just remember this happening and I was just like, wait, I have to wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Yep. <laughs> this what do is you the mean? <laughs> This needs to be binged. I can't wait. <laughs> the end of season two is also amazing. The entire yes. back half of season two is incredible storytelling. Reminded me a lot of the end of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they truly found their footing and we're just like, no, we're rolling with this. We've mm-hmm. basically like shucked off the we're just a parody thing and we're yeah. just rolling with it. This is mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane wants to make a Star Trek show. So we're just yep. going to make a Star Trek yep. show. <laughs> it's still funny. There's still comedy. They're still going to use elements from Star Trek, but it is its own thing now. It is its own animal. And I'm so grateful that Hulu gave him a chance to keep going. Yes. <laughs> I think, all right. I think it's time we try our best to mm. pick a favorite character. <laughs> Once again, really difficult. (laughs) I labored over this question (laughs) for a while, but I think in the end, I had to go with my first gut reaction choice. Easily Kelly Grayson, who's played by Adrian Palicki. I want her to be in more things. (laughs) Yes, Adrian Palicki should be in a lot more things. She is fantastic. She's gorgeous. She's athletic. She's funny. Just give her more to do. For Kelly, I really loved that this is a strong, capable woman ready to like take command in her own right. I kind of am like, why does she have to be the second in command to Ed? But she is younger and she has taken longer to climb up the ladder than Ed did. Like Ed was on the career track and she really wasn't. Mm-hmm. So it makes more sense that she would be just becoming like the executive officer looking for a commanding officer. I also like that she's really vulnerable and warm when she just takes Topa under her wing is so sweet and so cute. Love, love, love this. Fighting for her rights, basically to choose her gender. Like Topa, male, female. This is Bordis's daughter slash son. That whole thing and Kelly is told again and again to back off and she doesn't. And I really like her perseverance, her willingness to fight for another person to get to choose what they want. This is very prevalent right now. <laughs> Seth McFarlane, <laughs> how dare you? All of the prevalence with gender rights, women's rights, it's all in the Orville, very much encapsulated in Kelly and Topa's relationship. But then I also like that Kelly isn't perfect. Like the series opens with her having cheated on Ed. That is the entire basis. <laughs> with Rob Lowe. With Rob Lowe. I mean, I can't really blame her. <laughs> I was going to say, if my wife ever cheated on me with Rob Lowe, I'd be like, you know what? I- I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> He's on the laminated list. Like, let's be fair. You may have a laminated list and with an asterisk at the bottom, it says Rob Lowe. 
like Bravo is like the pass for everybody. Um, but the series doesn't like discard this, which I very much enjoyed. Ed does not want to join the crew with Kelly at first because of the emotional impact that the affair had on him. But then it also doesn't treat Kelly like a villain for cheating, which I very much appreciated. Instead, McFarlane shows the complicated relationship dynamics that led Kelly to cheat on Ed. And then the two have a lot of excellent talks about their relationship through the series, why it didn't work, why they should be friends instead of being married. This is just like very mature emotional conversations going on. And in a Star Trek show, that's really welcome because a lot of Star Trek shows don't deal with romantic relationships very well. Whereas no, they really Orville, don't. I mean, Orville, I think, hits that out of the park really well with being I mean, honest about romantic relationships. Breaker's just f- fucking around <laughs> and finding out. He really is. <laughs> he really. I don't know why Deanna Troy marries him. To be honest, <laughs> even though he is really hot and he does settle down at the end, like. Mm. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> How about Kelly. You? Kelly's a great option. She was definitely like in the top of my running for this. I loved the series development of her relationship with Ed, how they eventually come to this place of real emotional maturity, mm-hmm. professional respect, personal affection, but realizing that it just didn't work between them the way that they thought it would. You know, in the beginning, their divorce is kind of played off as a laugh. Yeah. Um, but Until you realize how much it actually hurt them both. Right. And and that's key is that it hurt them both mm-hmm. and how that affected each one of them. But I'm going to give my vote for favorite character to Dr. Claire Finn. The medical officer <laughs> is usually is always a primary member of the crew, mm-hmm. but they don't always get to see as many sides of them, except for that time when Dr. Crusher had sex with a Scottish ghost. <laughs> Which weird. <laughs> Yeah, just straight up weird. Don't know what the fuck's going on there. Yeah, <laughs> Still Bones, to this day. Bones and Crusher don't get, and even Julian on DS9 doesn't get as much as some of the other characters. No, do. he gets a couple of like one-offs, but he never gets as much. Honestly, it's probably the Doctor on Voyager who gets the most personal growth. And, <laughs> and he's, he's a, hologram. a computer hologram. <laughs> Great performance um, by Robert Picardo, by the way. But <laughs> absolutely phenomenal, but. We get to see so many different sides of Claire. We see her in the medical bay. We see her as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. We see her relationship with Isaac, which is a basically series long ups and downs, trying to really understand the nature of someone who is not only biologically, but just straight up wired psychologically very different from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see her as a parent. She's a single mom mm-hmm. and her she loves her. Her kids are great and she loves them so much and is not unwilling to have difficult conversations with them, but also lay down, lays down the law as like, no, I'm mom. This yeah. is how this shit's going to go. Mm-hmm. You two are smart. I am smarter. <laughs> yes. Penny Johnson Gerald just is able to shine every time she's on screen and it's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I love her. Please she's just so give good. me more. <laughs> She's so good. Her relationship with Isaac is really what sold me. Because I was like, I was in. I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is fun. I'm going to keep watching. And then she started the relationship with Isaac. And I was like, 
this is interesting. Like, <laughs> this is going to be good. This is interesting. And I love how they, like, both go back to their individual groups and have, mm-hmm. like, the debrief sessions, which is yes. hilarious because it's, like, Isaac and Lamar. Oh, my to- God. <laughs> Isaac And Lamar and Gordon are so terrible at advice. They're awful. But then, like, Kelly is just like, well, Kelly's wait, let's, <laughs> let's take it slow. Like, what are you actually trying to talk about? What are you mm-hmm. actually trying to do? It's amazing. And I love that they actually drink. Like this isn't some synthahol. They're actually drinking. Like oh, they're getting wasted. And tequila, <laughs> the Zelayan tequila, whatever, <laughs> whatever they drink that makes them all sick. Like yes, oh, this God. is fantastic. I love it. All right, Colleen, let's get into some of the more fun stuff. Who's your favorite villain from the series? Not the question I thought you were going to ask. <laughs> Just kidding. It is an outline, everyone. Uh, it's it right there. Be... What did you think I was going with? <laughs> you said the fun stuff. What are we supposed to think? Villains are fun. I'm sorry. If villain, why sexy? <laughs> if villain, why sexy? That question haunts me every day. <laughs> so my favorite villain from the Orville has to be Talia. Um, She's Krill, which is kind of like the main antagonistic race of the Orville, at least in the beginning. Kind of Klingons meets Cardassians. Cardassians a little bit, yeah. Like reptilian sort of, but also a little bit like the master from Buffy season one. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like the, the special effects have definitely been taken from other places. Talea is really interesting. I love her arcs with Ed and how you can't quite hate her. You really want to. I really, really want to hate Talia. I hate her so much. But then I can't. She starts off with, as this kind of innocent school teacher. Like, not completely innocent because she's Krill and knows certain things. But not as much as other Krill do. And she kind of gets a crash course in how the universe really works. She eventually becomes a theological fanatic, however, who's elected supreme chancellor of her people. So she goes from school teacher to Supreme Chancellor in three seasons of television. That's quite a glow up for our girl. I do love that while she's a villain, she obviously has a very large soft spot for Ed, even having a half curled child with him in secret. Oh no, whoopsie. <laughs> That's kind of like a, a big no-no for the girl. It's insane. Very insane. Of course, the child is kept in secret, but she seems really sweet. And Talia obviously loves her daughter, but is just very conflicted about how her daughter came about. I do like a villain who has conflicts like this, both external and within their own hearts. Another of our favorite creators, George R.R. Martin, loves to talk about that, how a character is most interesting when they're battling themselves. And Talia is a prime example of that. She's still struggling with who she really is and what she really believes And I doubt that her involvement with Ed or the series at large is over, even by what happens at the end of season three. So I'm excited to see where she'll go in the oncoming seasons. If we get more, cross our fingers. How about you, Anders? Favorite villain? Oh, boy. I mean, Talay is a great villain. And actually an incredible performance from Michaela McManus, who, an actress, I've not seen her do too many like amazing things mm-hmm. but i always thought she deserved a bigger shake on modern over svu than she got as the ada 
that gave her just like some extremely horrendous dialogue. <laughs> but mm-hmm. she really turns it around in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, as a villain, I'm, I'm going to go with the Mocklands. So they are not a traditional sci-fi villain, which is one of the things I really like about them. They're not actually like acting with malice for the most part. The situations we get into with them delve into the limits of the concepts of compromise and tolerance. So the Mocklins are a single sex species. They are all male or so they say. Mm. It turns out in my favorite episode um, from season one, in the rare case, a female is born. They are just given a gender reassignment surgery to make them male, mm-hmm. um, which becomes the linchpin of the entire arc of Bordis and Clyden's son slash daughter, Topa. Mm-hmm. Plays a big role in season three. And it just, it evolves into such a great, incredible story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all say we want to support other cultures. We want to respect our differences of people. But there ultimately comes a point where there is a limit. And I love that the show delves into what is that actual hard line where we have to stand up and say, you know what? No, I don't care that it's politically expedient for me. I'm going to stand up for what is right. Mm -hmm. Very Um, important in this incredible arc of television actually talking (laughs) about gender identity in a very real and visceral way yeah and it's on a star trek parody it's insane and i'm i'm gonna say it you know he works (laughs) to ultimately redeem himself he he comes around in the end because he loved because he decides that his love for his family is greater than kind of the cultural indoctrination that he's absorbed i'm still gonna say it though Fuck you, Clyden. Mm. I think I flipped off the TV <laughs> when he showed back up in that third season episode near the end. I was like, no, no, get out. you don't get Absolutely to redeem yourself, not. motherfucker. No, Bordis <laughs> and Kelly have a thing now. <laughs> there is some simmering sexual tension there and you can just go away. But instead they have their little mating ritual thing and are reunited. And mm. <laughs> which was hilarious. It was very funny. It was very, very funny. And I get like where a character like Clyden is coming from, but can also very comfortably say fuck them. Absolutely fuck Clyden. It is actually kind of interesting to think about like the the meshing together of what they do with the Mocklands. Mm-hmm. Because not only are we actually getting a very real, very emotionally charged representation of a marriage a mm-hmm. same-sex marriage, same-sex parents, mm-hmm. combine that with this level of intolerance and this absolute conflict based on your child gender identity. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> wild. It's absolutely wild. It's one of the reasons that I'm just like, Seth MacFarlane, how fucking dare you? <laughs> how could you? <laughs> this, the... Oh my gosh, the Mocklins are very Klingon, not quite as insane as the Klingons can get, (laughs) but still very attached to their culture and their reasoning. And it's like, I get it, but also leave your misogyny at the door. Seriously. Because we don't want it here. Like, this is not, 
this is not a cultural thing that is like we'll let you into the union but also once we find out that you're like doing sex changes without the person's permission that's gonna be a no it's a big Just no really gonna be a no all right colleen so on the show your favorite alien race mm. okay a lot of i really like the alien races in the show they're very creative um the, fr- the freaking slime people let's we gotta say <laughs> R.I.P. to Norm McDonald. Yep, rest in peace. We love you. He's fantastic as that character. But I do have to shout out to the Genesee from season three. These are the matriarchal <laughs> nightmares that come on board, and they have to pretend that all of the men are like subservient and don't really have real jobs, <laughs> which is really funny. But also, there's some sexual politicking that just is a no-no, <laughs> even if you are a matriarchal society. <laughs> just no. Um, my favorite alien race, though, on the show are the Zalayans from Planet Zalea. They're big on the sciences and the arts. They're kind of like Vulcans from Star Trek Universe, but they don't shove their emotions so far down into their bodies that they have to be released in one like weekend of sexual frustration. <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're like Spock, but they can actually feel things and smile, which is really nice. Alara and Tala, like we said before, from Zalea, they exhibit extreme physical strength in Earth-like gravity due to the gravity differences from their home planet. This can be a great boon to them because of their physical strength, but it can also be a detriment because they can get sick from regular gravity. I just really like that there were two powerful female characters shown as security officers. This is usually a post reserved for male characters in science fiction, not just Star Trek. R.A.P. to Tasha Yar. From the next oh, generation God. you were why gone too do they soon. do that i still people, don't know why they did that people didn't like her she was abrasive and a woman can't be abrasive she banged data <laughs> i know i loved tashiar she was fantastic <laughs> she did get to come back denise crosby did get to come back onto next generation a couple times but i was still pissed off when they killed absolutely off. how about you uh, I might have actually picked the Zalayans if you hadn't already, but you did. So I think I'm going to have to go with the Kalon. They aren't just the Borg. Like they don't want to assimilate you into their culture. They actually just want to wipe you out. Yeah. They want to eliminate all threats themselves. Yeah. Star Trek has dealt with synthetic life before. We have the Borg, we have Data, we have the Emerging Metal Hologram on Voyager. But it wasn't actually really until Picard in the last couple of years that they really dived super deep into the subject of synthetic life and what that actually means. Mm-hmm. And the Orville has put Isaac front and center from the start. And they gave him this background homeworld culture that goes to great lengths which Star Trek never really did with data. Yeah. And then the end of season three, the end of season two into all of season three deals with the war with the species between them and the union. And it just takes these incredible swings in making us reconsider our positions, making us, if I might sympathize with the devils. Oh no. And oh, gives man. them this backstory about this people that actually rose up against their oppressors. Yep. 
and did the only thing they thought they could, eventually taking like the first steps toward redemption. They don't quite get there. Whew. But it's that, all, that episode was wow. <laughs> that finale was insane. It's not. I was not prepared. <laughs> Once again, the show started and I was like, am I watching the right show? Yes. <laughs> so good. The Kalon are like the Borg if the Borg had fear. Because the Kalon fear their own destruction. Kind of like the Changelings a little bit in Deep Space Nine. God, they but, were so arrogant though. Yes, the Changelings were much more arrogant. The Kalon really don't have the capacity to be arrogant, but they do have the capacity to fear and to feel pain. And just damn it, Seth MacFarlane, making us making us experience all of the characters from all of the points of view, making us feel things we don't want to feel. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we're gonna go into our next discussion. We need to talk about the third season edition. It was supposed to be an episode, but budgetary constraints and such, COVID made it that the episode could not be made. Seth MacFarlane wrote a novella called Sympathy for the Devil. (laughs) Mm. The title could have been taken from the Rolling Stones song, which is an excellent song, where the devil admits to subtly leading historical events astray. But the song also asks the listener to see things from the devil's point of view that humans are actually the ones who truly seal their fate. Like the devil really doesn't have to be there for humans to fuck up. Really doesn't. He's just chilling. That definitely happens with this novella, which infuriated me from its brilliance and audacity. (laughs) Anders, okay, the story. Anders texted me one day. I was just like sitting on my couch doing my own thing. And it was like, you have to read this or I'm going to die because I need to talk about it. Pretty much. I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I will read this. I, I had to download a damn app for it, but I will read this. At first, I thought I opened the wrong ebook, though. Like, I read chapters and was like, I don't think this is the right thing. I kept switching back to the cover page and being like, it says the Orville. I guess I'll keep reading. But holy shit, did it pay off. Like, whole wow just incredible anders i'm gonna let you explain the plot because you made me do this (laughs) i I did so yeah i found this it came up on like my amazon recommends list or something and then i was like "Eh, it's pretty short um oh my library has a free ebook for it yeah fine it's the orville like even though i know that the orville can make us feel things i was like this will be like fun sure this will be fun Cut to about an hour and a half later, and I'm texting Colleen saying, hi, I need you to read this book because I need to talk about it right now. <laughs> like, I cannot get over this. It was like, calm down, okay. And then I didn't <laughs> calm down. <laughs> so, like Colleen said, the book was originally written to be episode nine of season three, but because of COVID and the budgetary constraints, it just became untenable and it was scrapped eventually picked up by Hyperion Publishing. Mm -hmm. So the story follows Otto, a boy who was left abandoned at a New York City hotel in like the early 1900s, maybe like early 1920s. Uh, He's ultimately adopted by a visiting German family who take him home with them. They give him a loving home, bring him up, everything's fine. But then we follow Otto as he grows up and eventually gets seduced into the Nazi regime in Germany. 
ultimately I worked. didn't think I was reading the right thing. <laughs> no, same. I absolutely was like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Um, he eventually works his way up to running a concentration camp and is finally at this point about halfway through the story Ed and Kelly enter in and it turns out Otto has been living his life basically in a holodeck program. His parents dropped him off in their like favorite vacation simulation of this hotel because their somewhat illegal science lab was being attacked and they were like, shit, we have to protect our son. So they dropped him off in there and be like, yo, we'll put him here. The hotel will take care of him. Everything will be fine. And then we'll come back later. They are ultimately so well for the Torrances and the Shining. (laughs) They ultimately are like captured and arrested and never get a chance to go back. So this program is just running on the AI autopilot for 20 plus years. 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. And now the Orville has been tasked with getting Otto to realize that his entire life has been this simulation. Everything he thinks he knows wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And bring him up to date to the 25th century. And it's also trying to deal with the fact that this guy is a Nazi. He's a Nazi. And a war criminal. Mm-hmm. Kill people. But technically none of those people were real. So can we actually prosecute him? And it's just, it's asking these questions that I'm just like, Seth McFarland, what the fuck? What have you done? <laughs> what have you done? So... Poor Otto. I mean, we have to say poor Otto at this point because he was a baby and his parents just dropped him off in the holodeck and were like, I hope this works. He has parents, like adopted parents. He has a wife. His wife has a child in this simulation. None of them are real. The desperation on his face. When he's like, I mean, it's it's written words, but you can like absolutely see him like just begging these people, just show me my wife and kid. Just show me my wife and kid. And they're like, they're not real. We can't. I don't like, care. Really can't. They ultimately do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just heartbreaking. It's so sad. This was just absolutely amazing storytelling. Making the reader, me, you, <laughs> feel a crushing sympathy for a Nazi character. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, what are we supposed to make of Otto? And the choices he makes in the simulation, he believes in everything he did. Like he subscribed to the Nazi ideology. The stuff with the watchmaker, clockmaker was oh, God. awful. So awful. The atrocities he oversaw, he did it. Like he actually did it in the simulation. But since it wasn't real, like you said, how can he be judged? Like what sort of court could even be convened? to judge somebody for something like he thought it was real but it wasn't real just mind-blowing how how can we i mean i guess the closest we got to this in star trek is when moriarty escapes from the holodeck but then they just kind of like put him back in the holodeck on the ever loop and yeah he gets his own universe yeah but he's a computer program this is a poor a, a real person who gets stuck in the simulation and is raised by a hologram that thinks it's doing the right thing by generating random stuff. It's random stuff, but it also, like, they make a point to point out that the hologram was adapting to his every decision. So as he was being brought up, he was making choices. Yes. And the hologram was adapting to that. Yep. 
it's so an adaptive it's, program. It's this it weird, like, nature-nurture thing yeah. that's just, like, would anybody dropped in this situation come out differently? Come out differently? Come out yeah. the same? Come out, would you be a Nazi? Would you not? If you grew up in that? It's so mm-hmm. fucking mind-blowing. <laughs> it, it makes you think, like, I can't say for myself that I would have done anything differently, aside from maybe gender, if Otto was a girl maybe he wouldn't have been like as high up obviously in 1940s Germany in the Nazi regime but still could have definitely been a Nazi sympathizer like could have been his wife could have been his wife I mean oh it's so hard and the novella's (laughs) ending has like a little bit of an up note it shows that people can change and be rehabilitated but in the end are we supposed to be happy for Otto's like eventual good like quote-unquote good life or are we still supposed to hate him for the person he was in the simulation and how he treats people like Claire he treats Claire oh god horribly treats Claire absolutely horribly like how are we supposed to take this which ultimately comes to it and that comes in the finale that you that you just mentioned like it's it's her is it one of um, her kids or is it her grandkids? One of her kids, I think. One of her kids who like runs into him in his eventual bakery that he yeah. does like. Because he... he is a baker. Like his dad was a baker. His, his dad, quote unquote dad in the simulation yeah. was a baker. So it's like, there's just so much to unpack in this hundred or so pages. We're, Seth MacFarlane, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> how fucking dare you? <laughs> I, the audacity I just, of this man i was not prepared for this i was like oh a novella i've read star trek books before this will be fine folks it was not fine <laughs> i definitely suggest that if you're a fan of the orville you read the novella because it is thought-provoking it is wonderfully written very real very immersive and just fucks with your head this is what before I looked up kind of the history of the story and how it was written to be an episode and then mm-hmm. because what of COVID or whatever <laughs> I I was convinced that this was like that Seth MacFarlane has a had this as a concept for an echo episode and it was because you know Fox Disney had just been bought like, by Disney no. and Disney <laughs> was just like you let you get away with a lot of shit we're not gonna let you get away with this no absolutely not <laughs> It would have been hyper violent. They would have had to cut a lot of stuff, I think. It would have been so, yeah. Or it would have been a two parter, probably, if they had to shorten it to like, or maybe on Hulu they were longer episodes. So maybe it could have been like a 90 minute episode. But it was just like, what the they fuck? would have had to cut a lot of the brutal stuff. Yeah. Disney was not going to sign off on this, bro. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not like, you want us to feel sympathy for a Nazi? Uh, no <laughs> but he does not. it and he then makes he it work it. he makes like it the work. sheer boldness to tell mm-hmm. this story was mm-hmm. it's insane it's absolutely insane i was not prepared <laughs> which is why it's actually it was like no do this now like mm-hmm. i gotta talk about this <laughs> and folks Anders and I consume a lot of content. We read a lot of books. We watch a lot of shows. We see a lot of movies. And this still was like, wow. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane, we're going to give you a clap and we're going to give you a slap on the face because that was just really rude. Yeah, it was very rude. We were not prepared for this. <laughs> so kind of the- like the Orville in a nutshell. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, the Orville itself is 
not technically renewed for season four. It's in this kind of weird in-between phase that I think normally you see with a lot of like sitcom comedy shows. Like I'm thinking of like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and um, Curb Your Enthusiasm are two shows that are kind of like, we're never actually going to cancel this, but as long as everyone's game, we'll probably bring everyone back. That's kind of where the Orville is. Now the Orville has the added wrinkle that it needs a much bigger budget than those shows. Yeah, it's not a single camera show. (laughs) We'll see what Disney or Hulu decides to do if Seth MacFarlane has ideas Mm. for season four. I'm sure that he will try and get them developed. Yes. But with that, we are going to leave it there for today. So thank you all for being with us. Come back next time for more shenanigans and shit that is just way better than it has any right to be. (laughs) If you're finding us as a podcast or on YouTube, no matter what you're doing, hit that follow button. Give us a five-star review. Check out our website, bohemiansgeekstudies.com. You can watch all of our episodes. Enjoy Colleen's Book Corner, where she enjoys Star Wars book reviews. And contact us through email and social media. Check out all the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. Right now, you can find Colleen and I over on the Yet Another Star Wars podcast feed, where we are delving into the new series Andor, which is fucking great. Amazing. So good. (laughs) I can't wait to record for our next episode. (laughs) I know. No wayfinders. (laughs) Thank God, just holocrons. (laughs) Yes. And as always, everybody, just tell other nerdy noites to come and join us. It really does help. Until next time, don't get too obsessed with Avis and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.